You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Hebrews chapter 11. It has been so incredible to be here in London again. Last year's EMC was exciting and inspiring. This year it's going to a new level. Amen. In Hebrews 11... The Bible teaches us about Noah's faith. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when, he, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. We are called to live by faith. Amen. And as Noah lived by faith, he lived by faith exemplified in a holy fear. I got to ask us today, brothers, do we have a holy fear? Do we have a fear of God that motivates us to build his ark that will save those who come out of this lost generation and into God's kingdom? Are we serious-minded about building God's kingdom? Are we sitting on the fence waiting for someone to call us to greatness? Are we pursuing a walk with God that exemplifies holy fear? There's no way to have fear of God without confessing your sin. I am so grateful. I really appreciated Anthony's lesson the other day. He just got to the point and said, you got to get open about your mental masturbation. you got to get open about your second looks or your first looks. you got to get transparent. Listen, without transparency, there is no holiness. And without a fear of God, you won't be holy. And if you're not holy, you will not give your heart to building the ark. And you will save no one, much less your family. What moves me when I think about holiness is, man, what it costs God that we could be holy. What it costs God that we would have the privilege of confessing our sin to each other. That I can pull my brother Scott aside and say, bro, here's the gross dream I had the other day, bro. Let me just confess my sin. That I can sit in a D group with men and go, let me get open. Let me get your help. Because I want to be holy. Because like, no, I want to have a faith that builds the ark that saves lives. Amen, church. Holiness. I only have one point. Holiness is the key to wholeheartedness in labor in God's kingdom. Holiness is the key. Please look with me in 2 Chronicles 19. Well, the scriptures teach about the fear of God and its impact on the hearts of the leaders of God's people. If we're here today, it's because we want to lead God's people to glory in his name. 2 Chronicles 19, starting in verse 8. Give me an amen if you're there. 2 Chronicles 19, verse 8. In Jerusalem also, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites, priests and heads of the Israelite families, to administer the law of the Lord and to settle disputes. And they lived in Jerusalem. He gave them these orders. You must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. In every case that comes before you from your fellow countrymen who live in the cities, whether bloodshed or other concerns of the law, commands, decrees, or ordinances, 
You're to warn them not to sin against the Lord. Otherwise, his wrath will come on you and your brothers. Do this and you will not sin. Noah's wholeheartedness was just like this. He totally poured himself into building the ark. Do you know Noah sounds like the word for comfort? Noah sounds like the word for comfort in the Hebrew language. Noah's wholeheartedness, because of his fear of God, was actually a comfort for our God. Because in Genesis it says God's heart was filled with what? Pain. Do you think it's any different for our God today? This is not heart not filled with pain. When he sees the bombs being dropped and when he sees the, the rape and the drug abuse and the nonsense that's going on in this world. Is our God's heart not filled with pain? Brothers, we will be a comfort to God like Noah because of our holy fear. We live by faith. We walk in righteousness. And so we are comfort to the God who comforts us. Let's be determined to be wholehearted. That we will wholeheartedly build the ark so we will save our families and the families of our friends and neighbors and the nations. Let's live in holy fear. Transparent, walking in the light. Embracing the freedom of forgiveness and the call of righteousness. Let us be determined that we're going to be a comfort to our Father's heart and no longer let it be filled with pain. Thank you. Hello, Ben. My name is Colby, and I am here to speak to you about Abraham, tested by faith. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Give me an amen when you get there. All right. Chapter 4, verse 18. Is the Bible says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring breed. Without weakening of his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, yes. being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. We all experience hardships in our life. We all are tested in different ways. I've been tested ever since I came out of the waters of baptism. It's been a hard year. And we all have this. And Abraham had this as well. He was tested. He had so many tests. But the biggest test is he had no son. He had no heir. He had this amazing life that he focused on God, but he had no one to leave it to. And God promised him this. But Abraham, it says that he, was, he had no hope. It says, man, I'm pushing a hundred. There's no way I'm going to have a son. My wife, her womb is dead. He, he recognized this. But it says that he was strengthened in his faith. When he was faced with hardships, when he was faced with difficulties, if his faith was made stronger. What about you? When you face hardships, does it strengthen or does it weaken your faith? When, when we talk about metal and metal work, we get metal from the ground. It's in metal ore. It's in a rock form. And then what you do is you can make it into a tool in different ways. There's two processes you can do. You can cast it, which is where you melt the metal down to liquid form and you pour it into a mold. Or you can forge it, where you put the metal in the fire, you take it out, and you hammer it. You put it back in the fire. You hammer it again and again and again and again. And you take a solid piece of metal and you force it into another shape. Now, if you want to cast something, you can do that quickly. You take your molds, you pour it out, and you can cast a lot of stuff. 
You want a cup? You can cast a cup. You pour your little mold. You want a plate? You can pour a plate. You want a bowl? You can pour a bowl. Easy. You know what you can't? You can't. You can't cast a sword. If you want a sword, you need to forge it. You need to take that hunk of metal, put it in the fire, hammer it, take it out, put it in the fire again, hammer it again, again and again to make it hard. Why? Because if you force something, it's higher quality. When you force something, it is stronger than when you cast it. And swords, they must be forged. Do you know why? Because if you cast a sword in battle, it'll break. With us, we don't like hardships. I do not like hardships. I don't like it when it gets tough. But there's no other option. What are you going to do? Because if you don't want to be forged, if, you're, if you can be like me and think there's got to be an easier way. There, just like, God, give me all the hardships in like a day. Like, let me just, like, be super, super tough day, and then everything will be great. Like, there's got to be some sort of evangelist mold that I can be poured into. Give me, like, a tough day or a tough week. Like, like make it sorted by the end of the conference. I'll be good to go. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. If we go to James really quick, James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The Greek word for mature here is teleos, which means perfect. God uses hardships to make us perfect. And this is, this is the only way. Now, when... Um, when we experience hardships in our life, um, we don't like it. It's really, really hard. But it's the only way that God works. And my question for you guys is, what is the hardship in your life right now that you don't have the faith to overcome? What is, what is, what's, what, where do you need the faith? Now, the Bible in Romans is amazing because it talks all about faith. And in Romans 10, 17, it says that faith comes from hearing the message. So whatever the challenges that you're facing that you need more faith for, I've got the answer for you. Stop focusing on yourself. Start focusing on the word of God. As soon as we stop talking about ourselves and all of our problems and we go to the word of God, that's where we we find it. And so go, go to God's word. Get your faith from there. I want to challenge you guys to accept God's hardship, to accept the discipline, accept the hardship. Allow God to forge your faith to perfection through the hardships and suffering going on in your life. I want to challenge you to be like Abraham. Have faith that is tested and is proven genuine. Thank you. Morning. Go to Judges chapter 6. I'm going to be talking about being transformed by God. And in the six minutes I have, I'm going to share the last six, seven years of my life. <laughs> so I have some grace with, if I go one second over. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You know, when I flew here four years ago, I arrived here December the 20th, but I flew through Dusseldorf, Germany. And I moved here from the Caribbean. So when I arrived at the airport in Dusseldorf and looked outside the window, it was cloudy. It was rainy, and it was cold. And then it dawned on me, 
what have I done? <laughs> and those clouds were a foreshadowing of the first three and a half years of how my life would be here in London. Judges chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. See, God, the God we serve, calls the things that are not as though they are. And he has a plan for each and every one of us to get there. He has very specific hardships in store for all of us to make us into the instrument that we need to be. Now, if, if you're studying the Bible, and I tell you it's going to be awesome, it's going to give great life to the full, just say, give, give me the full story. <laughs> tell me everything that's involved. But it's totally worth it. Exactly three years ago at the EMC, myself and Maria, we had lunch with Captain Elena. We had a talk, and Maria was sharing how it was always her dream to be in the ministry and to be a, a woman's ministry leader. And she started crying. And Kip turned to her and said, Say, she got to understand. This is just the very beginning. And you got to give God time to work on your husband. <laughs> See, in, in baseball, the American uh, version of cricket, that's called a curveball. <laughs> Meaning that the perceived trajectory of the discipling is, is not necessarily the designated audience. <laughs> But it was awesome. You see, because just two or three years before that, I was talking with Maria about where we should go at that time in, in Portland to the Jubilee. And I was totally faithless. I was uh, a Christian in mind, but a practical atheist in my actions. And Maria was begging me to go. And I was like, you know, I don't need to go. I mean, I am who I am. That's my DNA. Those are my chromosomes. I cannot just, I cannot help it. That's how I am. But God had a plan. See, when we were in London, God started working on me. Through circumstances. But besides those, the, the storm I saw in Dusseldorf, there was another storm forming in London above my head. It was big. It was black. It was intense. And, you know, every storm has a name. And this storm was called Michael Williamson. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and God God sent this storm to reorganize my life see because I didn't believe in myself I, I, my faith in God was very very small but I learned a big lesson when we go through hardships and when we go through challenges as Joe said last night, we got to understand we have to stop saying and praying why, until when, how much longer. What we got to under pray for is what do I need to learn? What do I need to be? <coughs> and the challenges they were. They were quite intense. 
but it's exactly what I needed. In one of the Jubilees seven years ago, I was talking to the sister, and she was talking about going to the ministry. It's awesome. I said, you know, I was totally uh, defending why I should not be. Because <laughs> I was fearful. But see, it doesn't matter where you're at. God can take anyone and transform their life. I totally believe that. At the GLC, the last GLC in August in LA, <coughs> Tim preached and asked, raise your hand if you believe you've been chosen by God. And I started raising my hand because everyone was raising it. I didn't want to look bad. <laughs> but halfway up, I said, no, this is even worse. Let, let me not do it. <laughs> but that moment, I realized, okay, this has got to change cannot keep going like this because it's not biblical it is not righteous and so I spoke to a few people I repented of that and then I confessed it when we met with the European people I got some more additional disciples even though I thought I already repented but just to make sure you don't ever go back there again and a month and a half ago I was having disciple time with Michael and I said should I say it? Should I not say it? I said, well, let me just say it. So, boy, you know, I don't know, you know, what you think about this or what God thinks, but, you know, I've, I want to be appointed an evangelist. And Michael said nothing. Just changed the subject and spoke about something else. <laughs> so, I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's called a knuckleball. <laughs> I thought, well, well, you know what Michael thinks, uh, who cares? <laughs> in a good way, I'm not giving you advice in every situation with your disciple. I'm just saying, you know, God ultimately has the plan, not man. So in closing, I want to give you discharge. Embrace hardship and use it as fuel to do God's work. It's great to be here, and I just want to start right away just to thank you, uh, Michael and uh, all on the church, uh, supporting us in Stockholm. Uh, we are very humbled and grateful for your contribution, and we love you very much. I'm going to talk about Moses humble before God. This is a remarkable story about the movement of God, lead by a man of God, Moses. As Numbers 12 says, he was very humble. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Of course, who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses, <laughs> but but I'm sure, and again, this is this is a fact. Holy Spirit want to tell us through the Scripture that Moses did at least better than anyone else at this moment, and God called him to lead people to the Promised Land. Hebrew three, Hebrew three, verse nineteen says, "So we see that they were not able to enter 
because of their unbelief. They saw incredible miracles. Going through the Red Sea, being led by the cloud, it means baptism. Critics with the water from the rock means Christ, but did not make it because of their unbelief. Verse 14 says, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Our original conviction are the first principles. Starting Matthew 28, 18 to 20, with people who show them a simple equation, our core conviction that it is possible to evangelize the world for Jesus. Yeah. Only if we are doubling every year. Jesus is teaching that the good soil is multiplying. And the smallest multiplication is doubling. Hebrews 4.2 says, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us. Just as they did. But the message they heard was no value for them because they did not combine it with faith. So Moses had to take them to incredible promised land. This was the good news. We know that this is for ind individuals. Uh, it means, you know, to go to heaven, crossing the Jordan River when we die. But for the movement, it means reach the goal. As Moses was told by God not only to get them out from Egypt, but to take them to the promised land. This was their original conviction. We all have good news proclaimed to us by Jesus. Not just to become disciples, but to go to all nations, to evangelize the world, and we must to combine it with faith. Have you held your original conviction about doubling firmly to the end? If not, the message we hear is no value. We will never see world evangelized. If you are just baptized recently, do you have a goal to make at least one disciple every year? If you are leading Bible talk, do you believe that God wants to double your group? If you did start your year with thousand disciples, God's will is absolutely that you will be 2,000 disciples to the end of the year. That is always the voice telling me, but I don't really see that we can double this year. I have to make more realistic goal. Or my people are going to be very discouraged. I chose much smaller number and, and I can see that happen, right? The, the, the faith is to be certain. In something you can't see. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Sometimes we can hide behind the, behind the numbers. Or additions. Or percentage. When you have a big church you can have a goal. What seems to be quite big number. But what is not even close to doubling. Smaller church. Let's say 100. Can have a goal 100 additions. It sounds kind of a lot, but it's not even close to the doubling because of the move-outs, send-outs, and fall-aways. To grow 100, we need usually to have much more than 150 additions. Sometimes we will hide, but numbers do not lie if we don't lie about the numbers. Let's go numbers. Numbers 20. 
Numbers 20, verse 7. So what happened with the most humble man? Numbers 20, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will be poured out this water. You will bring water out to the rock for the community to they and their livestock and drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded them. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, Listen you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? And Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and community and the livestock drank. But the Lord said, Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough, you honor me as holy in the sight of Israelites. You will not bring this community into the land I give them. So again, we see Moses get kind of job done. Moses stuck the rock twice instead of speaking to the rock in faith. As God had told him to do this time. He was thinking probably, I'm strong now. I can do it. I have done it before. It's totally realistic. Must we bring your water? Implying that it was their own work. And the very humble man of God stopped giving glory to God. As disciples, we should follow our leader's faith as God has chosen them. As leaders, we should be humble before God, not accusing people, not hiding behind the stats, but holding firm to our original conviction. We have our methods. We all have our methods, but they are useless without the faith and humility before God. And his goal. So now you probably ask how things are going in Stockholm. Uh, anyway. <clears throat> we had our inaugural uh, service in uh, late September last year, and it has been pretty slow winter and spring. A lot of traveling visas, language classes, building the momentum. We had just few additions, couple of baptisms and restoration. And I have to confess. That, you know, the voice in my head says, uh, maybe you just take a lower goal, not just double it, maybe just 10 additions. Actually, better seven. Seven is a beautiful number, very biblical number. Seven additions, it would be just incredible. Everybody would be fired up. But again, what I had to do is just to repent and, and, and just go and, and pray. I mean, don't understand me wrong. These 10 people would be incredible. Every baptism is a miracle of God. Yeah. And it's very, very, very important. Yeah. But, but again, God expects us to multiply at least double. We started with 14. God will double us until 28 before the end of the year. I'm absolutely sure. We have to continue to pray. Continue to believe. We have to hold firm our original conviction. And in September, October, during just four weeks, God gave us seven additions, including four baptisms. And more is coming. So God is faithful. It's not about us. It's about God and his supernatural power. Let's believe. 
But God's goals are incredible. Let's believe that God's goals are realistic, not because of us. Because everybody who knows me, you understand it's not me. If, if you think that was a little bit me, you don't know me very well. But, but this is what God really wants. Let's be humble before our Lord. Let's be open about our real stats, guys. Let's repent and get back our original conviction about yearly doubling. And we will see word. Evangelize. Our Lord. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. You know, it's great to be in London with my mates. I'm so happy to be back with you guys here in England. Amen. The title is Joseph Trusting in God. You know, Joseph had a dream. And he comes to his brothers and he says, guys, I've had the most amazing dream given to me by God. I'm going to be a Bible talk leader. And guess who's in my Bible talk? You are. And I don't know if your Bible talk never liked it that you're the leader. But they didn't really like that plan. So then Joseph gets another dream. And he comes back and he says, I'm going to be an evangelist, a world sector leader. I'm going to be a world missions leader. And his dad and his mom did it like that. So what happens? He gets abandoned. He gets despised. He gets rejected by his brothers. He gets abused. He gets sold into slavery. He gets falsely accused. He then gets sentenced to prison. And then he gets forgotten about. And then after 13 years, God takes 24 hours. In one day, he takes him from the dungeon to the right hand of Pharaoh. You know, trusting in God says that God can do anything in one day. It doesn't take a week for God to work. He can work in one day. And he gives us these dreams, but he doesn't bring those dreams to fulfillment in one year. You see, it took 13 years from the time that he got his dream to God fulfilling it. And I've asked myself why, and it's Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 4, it says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Don't you just love being a son of God? And God is a just God. But what happens is when he treats us like his children, we can either make light of the discipline or we can lose hearts. You fall in one of two categories. Either you brush it off and you don't take it serious or you get down and depressed and you're miserable. You know, I really believe that, that some of us come and we deny ourselves to be happy, but we're not really happy. We're miserable inside. We're depressed. We're discouraged. And, and yet the Bible says Jesus wept. But we don't understand that being sad isn't necessarily sin. If you're going to be sad, then go be sad for one minute. Go take time to go be sad. And then come back fired up for God. Yeah. 
You know, for, for us, it's, it's God's given us dreams. Sometimes we share those dreams and we don't get the support that we thought we would get. Maybe our disciples are silent. And we think, why is not everybody telling me they believe in me? Why isn't people just patting me on the back? You have an amazing dream. You want to lead us? Awesome. We're behind you. And then all of a sudden, brothers get competitive. They always start highlighting your shortcomings. You can even get forgotten about. People don't call you back. You might not have a deep time. And instead of getting transformed by God and trusting in God, you start getting an attitude towards your brothers and towards God himself for being your dad. The other question comes is, who is your dad? Because if God is your dad, he's going to discipline you as his children. And I got to ask you, are you fired up to be made into the man that God wants you to be made into so you can fulfill the dream that he has given you? You know, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it simply says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If God has called you, and I believe he has called you, He's called you to be a disciple of Jesus. He's called you to be a leader. He's called you to be a Bible talk leader. He's called you to be a shepherd, your brother's keeper, a best friend. He's called you to be a man of God. And if God has called you to be all of those things, he says, I'm not going to let you be mediocre. I'm going to make you to the man to achieve those dreams, and it's going to be through hardship and discipline. As Winston Churchill said, never, never, Never quit. I gotta ask you, are you gonna quit on God? Because he's not quitting on you. Guys, let's not get an attitude because of hardship. But let's allow the fire and the tools to make us and what God wants us to be, trusting in God that it's gonna happen just like he said it would happen in his word. And to God be all the glory. All right, Judge. Well, uh, my name is Ola, and uh, I've been given the chance today to talk about Isaac's submission to God. And uh, for those of you who know me, you know, I come from a Muslim background in many ways. And uh, when I was given this charge, I was thinking about it. I, you know, I don't know if you guys know about it, but actually the word Islam in Arabic actually means submission to the will of God. You know? And the word Muslim means one who submits to the will of God. You know? So when you look at the Muslim faiths, they don't just see their faiths as just a name. They see it as a, a state of devotion to their God in many ways. You know? And I was thinking to myself, I mean, we know that they follow a false God. And we know in a way that they don't follow the true God. And, but I think in a way, what they're trying to describe is actually the state of a true Christian. Because when I look at it, when you define Christianity, Christianity is the state of which we submit our will to God. You know? And a Christian, a Christian is one who submits themselves to the will of God. So they're describing us in many ways. Now let's look at Genesis 22. We're going to read from verse 6 to 8. The scripture says, it says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. 
And he himself carried the fire and a knife, as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Ab um, his father, his father Abraham, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham replied, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. I mean, the scripture here is describing, obviously, God gave Abraham the vision to go sacrifice Isaac on, on a mountain. He said, in a way, they traveled three days, and they've come so far to this mountain now, and now they've come down there, and now they're walking up the mountain. And it says, you know, as they're walking up the mountain, in a way, Isaac realized, actually, we came here for a burnt offering, but, you know, they, I think there is something missing it. We haven't got the lamb to sacrifice, you know? And Isaac asks his dad a question. But I think in a way, when it comes to our relationship with God as well, there's going to come a time where we question God, where we don't understand what's actually going on around us, you know? But we got to walk up those mountains and really follow God. Because with Isaac, Isaac asks a question because it didn't make sense to him what was going on. But with Isaac, Isaac followed on to the top of the mountain. And we got to have the same heart as well to follow on even where we don't really have all the answers. You know, for us, how well are we submitting to the men that God has put in our life? Are we really giving a heart to them? Isaac gave his heart to his father even when he didn't have all the answers. You know, if we're going to preach the word to all generations, we have to be men who submit our will to the men that God has put in our life. The amazing thing is when we look at Abraham, the response of Abraham, in a way for me, was quite amazing. You've traveled three days to come down here, and your son is asking you, where is the lamb? And Isaac Abraham said, the Lord will provide. I don't know about you guys, but I'll be struggling right here. You know, we've traveled three days. We've come up this mountain. We're traveling up this mountain to a place no one else is going to be. And you're telling us God is going to provide the lamb. I'll be like, you gotta, be, you gotta be kidding me, you know? And for me, it's like, you, you, Abraham is already 100 years old. You could think this guy's old, he's losing his memories. I gotta go down and grab a lamb that we can sacrifice to God, you know? And that's where some of us are. When we face life issues, when things don't make sense, we wanna take control of the situation. We wanna run down the mountain and really be the, be the, provide the answer to the question that we face. But we got to trust, like Isaac, and keep on going to be what we need to be. So my question for you is, do you question more or do you follow more? You know? Do you follow more or do you question more? Because we live in a society in Europe where we love to question God. We love to analyze and give questions and be the, be the, 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 you know, the men of great wisdom that we think we are. But the heart that God is looking for in Europe is heart of men who will follow. So my question for you is, how submissive are you? You know, you know, when we think of submission, we always think of our wives first. I don't know about you guys, you know, whenever you hear the message, submission, you're like, man, I hope my wife is listening right here, you know? But the question is actually meant for the men. You know, because if we don't submit, how is your wife going to submit to you? You know, 
we got to understand the concept of submission for our wives to submit to us. If we look in verse 9 to 10, the scripture says, it says, when they reached the place that God has told him, Abraham built an altar and there arranged the wood on it. He bowed his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So they got to the mountain and it says that if Isaac didn't see any sight of any lamb. But it says that they had to gather around and start building the altar. And I'm sure it's at this point, Abraham would have given his son the answer, like, son, Lord told me we got to come in. I know you love me, and I love you as well. But God has called me to be here, and you got to buy into this vision. You know? And I can imagine that must be some really intense conversation going up up there. You know, Isaac's heart must be like, oh my goodness, this is the answer to my question. I am the lamb. You know? In many ways as well, we are called to be men who will sacrifice our life for God. In many ways as well, we sometimes are going to be the lamb for God. But we got to be ready to die. I don't know about you guys. I don't want to die. You know? I mean, in many ways, I, I, I restrict it. But one thing I really respect about Michael with the disciples, Michael Williamson, is he has a heart to give his heart wholeheartedly to the mission. And I respect that in many ways. You know? And I've got to cultivate my heart to be the same as well. You know, when we look at our life, let us be men who really submit our heart to the will of God. Let us be men who want to follow all the way and be what we need to be for God. Amen. Turn your Bible, please, to 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. The title of my little uh, lesson is Conquering Kingdoms for God, David. This is a little bit of a, a deeper section in terms of when you think about conquering kingdoms for God, that's a large thing. Okay, we're not talking about character change, we're talking about actually going out and conquering. The equivalent would be countries, cities, regions, postcodes, Villages, Hampstead, Clapham Junction, whatever it is. How did David do it? The key is, is you must value all types of people. All sorts of cultures, backgrounds, problems, and get the best out of every single body and all people. In 1 Samuel 22 it says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gather around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. <laughs> Including his mighty men were actually people from the kingdoms that he went on to conquer. One of which was from, Zeleg was from the Ammonites. These were not good people. And he was able to take all sorts of people and do great things with them. You know, I think we find that really, really hard to do. And I'm going to share an analogy with you that hopefully will stay with you to understand where you're at and where we can be at and how we fail at this. The ministry is like playing chess. Jesus is the king. The whole goal is to protect the king. The queen is your wife. Yeah. 
She is the most important piece on the board, the most powerful piece. If you don't look after that piece, the game is over pretty much when you started. But she is the most valuable. However, in counselling, we often value them the least. We don't let them speak. The two bishops, there is one on the black and one on the white. If you don't value these pieces, and most people like to play chess with just one or two favourite pieces, and that's the problem. Actually, if the enemy takes one of those bishops, the other one becomes pretty much useless. Because they can just move every piece to the other colour. This is the teen and the student ministry. They work together. If you don't have teens, you won't get the students. If you don't have the students, the teens will fall away. And you say, well, I'm not in the student ministry. The reason people lack the ability to grow Bible talks is because they just try and invite people that are like them. And they go, we're a single Bible talk, we're a married Bible talk, and you don't replicate the church. A Bible talk is meant to replicate the church. When you replicate the church, your Bible talk will become a church through growth. But we don't value teens. They're hard work. We don't value students. They're spotty and smelly and in debt. The next piece is the horse. Now, the horse is the most unpredictable and frustrating piece. They're like the AMS. Or disabled people. Or people you don't relate to. They're hard to predict for you. However, if you don't value the horse, they can do things other people cannot do. They can actually jump over pieces and go to the side. When a horse attacks, you sort of don't know where it's going because it's not a logical beast. If you don't understand how to value the disabled, the autistic, the AMS types, or foreigners, you lose a whole piece. The castle, these are the straight shooters everybody loves. They just go up and down. That's all they do. They're predictable singles, good job, no real problems, good background, left, right, great. However, however, when you start a ministry, it's very hard to get the castles out. You predominantly start a ministry with a, a bishop and a knight and a couple of pawns, and you have to scrap your way through. And if you don't know how to get the best out of every single person... The enemy will beat you every time. Wow. Now, the pawns are the young Christians. If you are satisfied with losing them quickly, when your church or your ministry grows, you will have nobody to replace the lost pieces, the teens, the leaders, the straight shooters, or even the queen. Every one of us has got to understand that we need to value everybody. The other thing on a chessboard is there are two colors, black and white. If you don't learn how to value other cultures or other colors, you will lose. If you start with the black pieces, you have a different tactic than if you start with the white. If you only address, I understand black, 
you will never beat the white. If you only understand white, you will never beat the black. We need to really apply ourselves. Are you good at converting other cultures, other colors, other age groups? To many of our Bible talks, are reflective of us, and that's the problem. How are you going to get to Bradford, Leicester, 50% Indian? How are you going to get to Birmingham, 40% Jamaican? I used to leave Birmingham. I need to eat bun and bogle and go to Yellow Man. And, I mean, I needed to learn the whole bit, okay? I know. Kiss me, any, any kiss me. Hey! Okay, okay, okay. How are you going to convert them? My challenge for you is this. You need to become all nations. You need to be great at converting everybody who is not like you. Then you will learn how to build your Bible talk, your region, your church. You will be chosen to lead a city. And then you will be sent to the nations. Amen. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events or devotionals you can find all that on our website also once again we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one